0: Life, And if you have your Bibles, we're going to sort of jump around to a few different passages. Otherwise, you can look on the screen. Most of them are going to be right on the screen, so you could just follow along that way. But what's so great about life is the lesson today. But before I get there, do you have any Easter traditions growing up? Raise your hand if you had some Easter traditions growing up. Yeah, most of us, right? Most of us had Easter traditions. Uh, I grew up in in the Christian circles, and we had a bunch of Easter traditions growing up. In fact, I'm going to share with you my top 10 Easter traditions that I hated growing up. And remember, these are jokes, okay? I don't mean to step on anybody who has traditions or anything like that. But top ten Easter traditions that I hated growing up. And see if you can relate to any one of these. Uh, number one, Easter tradition that I hated was having to hunt for your Easter basket at 6.30 in the morning. Just give it to me. We know it's behind the big recliner. I've already done the Easter egg hunt. Just give me the basket, okay? Okay. I, don't, I have bed head, I got my sweats on, I, I, just give hand me the basket with the candy. And yes, these are all directed right at you. So. And where's mom? Her too. She <laughs> bailed. She did bail. I'll get her later. Uh, second tradition that I hated was trying to eat a jelly bean from said Easter basket and mistakenly eating some fake grass instead. Anyone ever do that? Get some of that fake grass in your mouth and choke to death? I still remember the taste of that plastic grass. In fact, what was the purpose of that grass? Are you supposed to pretend like you're from? You're getting these things from the yard? I don't really understand that. Uh, that, got, that stuff was probably good for flossing, but not for eating. So that was the second tradition that I hated. Number three was having to wear a brand new outfit for church. Anyone still do that? Brand new outfit on Easter Sunday? Luke? Okay. See, back in the day, I didn't like that. So my sisters and my brothers, every year we had to have a brand new outfit. I think if you didn't have a new outfit on Easter, they would kick you out of church. Uh, someone kept track of those things. But... The girls would always have some flowery dress, and ordeal, and maybe a hat. You guys remember that. And the boys would have suits, back in the day, and clip-on ties. Those things were phenomenal. For some reason, the suit was always like two sizes too small. I was so sweaty all day long. I lost like 10 pounds. Another tradition I didn't like. A number four tradition I didn't like was that you had frigid temperatures in the morning and then stifling hot temperatures in the afternoon. What is it about April? So on Easter Sunday, typically I would get frostbite and heat stroke in the same day. That was annoying as well. (laughs) How about this one? Taking family pictures outside on Easter is a law. You have to stand in front of something blooming, some flowery thing. And My mom always had this tradition. She wanted us to stare directly into the center of the sun. So every picture, we're like this, you know, like vampires. And uh, so every picture, we had to stare directly into the center of the sun. And I still see spots when I close my eyes. My vision struggles, so that's another one I didn't like. Here's another one. Long-winded Easter Sunday sermons. Come on, Pastor. Cut to the chase. My clip-on tie is cutting off my breathing. I don't want any amens right there, so just hold, hold, hold your tongue. How about this, number seven, was having to wait until Grandma comes over to see you in your new Easter outfit before you can take it off and get back into your sweatpants. Grandma doesn't need to see my Easter outfit. She's going to see the pictures of me staring into the sun. Can I take this off and get back into my sweats? Grandma doesn't even remember my first name. So that was another tradition I didn't like. Calls me Travis. Uh, Number eight tradition ham. I hate ham. That thick texture and the green beans next to it. Whose idea was that? Where's the pizza? Can we have one holiday with pizza as the main course? No, we had to have ham every single Easter Sunday. And then number nine, even worse, ham leftovers. As if ham wasn't good enough, you had to ham leftovers. And uh, eating ham leftovers was like surviving a hanging and then going to the electric chair. So thanks for that. I joke, everybody. Ham's okay. It's really not. And number (laughs) ten... top 10 Easter tradition that I hated was no Christmas presents to open. Now, I saw you guys had some presents for your kids. That was smart, but growing up, the jelly candy was not that good, you know, not that, not something to write home about. I wanted presents. Where are the presents on Easter? You know, Christmas is about Jesus too, but we get presents. Break out the presents, parents. Come on, stop being so cheap. I'm just teasing. I'm a parent. I'm a cheap one. I wonder if you had any traditions. One of the traditions that we often had, too, was speaking about the resurrection, right? That's a good tradition. That's a really good tradition. That's a tradition we're going to keep here at Wyoming Valley Church, and we're going to talk about today what is so important or what is so great about life. What is so great about life? I want to take you to a passage in John 11 that I've referenced before on Easter, and I'm not going to read through the entire account, but in this passage, it's quite unique. Jesus has a friend whose name is Lazarus. And he heard word that Lazarus was sick. And by the time Jesus gets to Lazarus, Lazarus has already passed away. So Lazarus has already died. And it's been four days since his death. So Jesus meets Lazarus' sister on the path to the way to get to where Lazarus is laid. And she comes to Jesus, and she's very thankful that Jesus comes, but she's also rather confused because Lazarus is dead. He's been dead for four days. And she's kind of telling Jesus, listen, thanks for coming, Jesus, but you don't really need to come now. It's a little too late. He's been dead for four days, so you don't really, you're not, no longer needed here anymore, Jesus. In John eleven twenty-five 25 to 26, this is Jesus' response to Martha. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? If you know the rest of the account, Jesus goes to Lazarus' tomb and he says, roll the stone away. It's very eerily similar to what happened with Jesus. But Jesus goes up to the tomb of, of Lazarus and he yells into the tomb, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man walked out. It's a really powerful story. It's a very good parallel for Easter. We're going to use that as the springboard today to talk about the question, what's so great about life? What is so great about life? Now, we've been doing a several-week series, as I mentioned, called All In at Wyoming Valley Church. And we've looked at what it means to be all in for Jesus. What does that mean? What does that look like? Why is that important? Why should we give our entire lives to Jesus? See, the great thing about the Lord is that he never asks or commands us to do anything that he wasn't willing to do for us. And one of my absolute favorite passages in all of Scripture the Apostle Paul tells us that Jesus first denied himself, took up his cross, and followed God's plan to save you and I. And as we've looked at in our series these past several weeks, Jesus said this phrase to us. He said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. But remember, he never asks us to do anything that he wasn't willing to do himself. So look at this passage. Actually, it's not on the screen. I wish it was. Listen out loud or go to Philippians 2 in your own Bible. Philippians 2, I'm going to read verses 5 to 11. Listen to the language. It says, Paul speaking, he said, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or held on to. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Today is Easter Sunday, or Resurrection Sunday, some people call it, and it's the day that we typically celebrate that Jesus died for our sins, but that he also didn't stay dead. Dying for someone is an amazing gift, isn't it? That's an amazing gift, to be sure. But coming back to life after you died means something incredibly profound. Now, if Jesus only died for us, that would be great, and we would celebrate his sacrifice, and we'd be thankful that Jesus died to spare us from an eternity in a godless hell. We would be thankful for that. We would celebrate that. But the truth that we can avoid hell Although it would remove terror and trembling from our lives, if we were honest, dying for us isn't good enough, is it? I want you to think about this past year. We've had a weird year. I want you to think about the past year of many of us and some of your loved ones who have spent countless days in their homes or in the hospital. Perhaps they didn't die. Perhaps you survived COVID. Perhaps your loved ones survived it but spent countless days at home and in the hospital. And it's interesting that right now our country is in kind of a tug of war. Some are saying that not dying is the best plan, and we should do everything we can to stick to that plan so that some people don't die. And others are saying, no, not dying isn't good enough. We need to return to living. And that's an interesting tug of war right now. And I promise you this is not a political statement today. I'm a pastor, I'm going to speak to you only what the Lord has already spoken about. But you have to admit, that is an interesting parallel. Is not dying enough to give us eternal hope? It's not. It's not. We need life. We need eternal life. We need abundant life. You see, Jesus died to pay our debt that we owe to God because of our sinful choices and those choices and this is not a joke those choices were going to require our eternal punishment because sin equals death and we were going to requ- God was going to require of us eternal punishment because of our sinful choices but as we know and we celebrate even this today our debt has been paid in full in full if we place our faith in Jesus Christ we don't have a debt that we owe to God any longer We don't have to die and spend an eternity away from our Creator if Jesus Christ is our Savior. That's an amazing gospel truth, an amazing gospel truth. But you see, Jesus did not just die because we needed more than we just avoidance of death. We needed more than that. We needed eternal life. We needed life, eternal life. And this is exactly what we celebrate today. This Right here is what we celebrate today. Most of you know the story. Three days after Jesus died, he woke up from death. And he proved to the entire world that even death cannot defeat the Lord Jesus. There's a trailer for a movie going out right now. It's called uh, Godzilla versus King Kong. And my boys, my three oldest boys, are enamored with this trailer. I don't know what it is. But every time the trailer comes on, they drop whatever they're doing and they come to the screen and look at it. Because, I don't know, there's just something about little boys with those kinds of movies. And uh, it's two epic things fighting each other, right? Well, what's what's a a greater fight than death, the scariest thing out there, versus the Son of God? That's a great matchup, isn't it? Death versus the Son of God. Who would you take in that battle? I mean, that's going to be a back-and-forth tug-of-war, isn't it? Arm wrestle. But it wasn't. Jesus, without any struggle, three days later, woke up from death, as if death had no grip on him whatsoever. I've stated this before on Easter, but uh, it's interesting to me that there are a lot of famous graves of famous people in the world, aren't there? Maybe you guys have visited some of those. There's a lot of famous graves of famous people in the world. But there's only one grave in history that's made famous for who's not buried in it. One grave in the history of the world is famous for who's not there. There's nobody in it. Isn't that interesting? And the truth that Jesus conquered death also proved another thing to the world. That avoidance of death is not the only gift that Jesus is offering us. He offers us life. He offers us eternal life. If we follow Jesus and have faith in him, we get two amazing gifts. Two. We get to avoid eternal death and the consequences of our sin. That is amazing. That is an amazing gift that we get. But we get a secondary question or excuse me, secondary blessing from God. We get eternal life with God. And we're going to explore why that's so important. That we get eternal life and not just avoidance of punishment. Can you imagine eternal life? Can you picture it? Have you ever tried to do that, to picture and imagine what eternal life is like? Eternal living it's a very hard concept to wrap our minds around because it almost sounds too good to be true, right? How can that actually be? Is it really eternal? Maybe it's a thousand years. Or maybe the life isn't really that good. Maybe it's some sort of hologram. Maybe it's some sort of weird hybrid. But eternal life, that's exactly what Jesus Christ is offering us. This world that we live in has some bad things about it, doesn't it? But at the top of the list, if we had a top ten of the bad things of this earth, death is number one. It's the big party killer. Death comes to steal everything that we wish to keep, doesn't it? It comes and robs from us. If you and I could solve the problem of death, we could live forever and our lives would be filled with hope every single day, right? But wait, to some people, eternal life is not that great sounding. We all know that some people hate their lives, don't they? They hate their very existence. Enough to consider maybe taking their own life. Can you imagine trying to convince a person like that that they can live forever? In their current existence? Obviously those people hate their life. So eternal life, at least on the earth, would not be a great concept at all to them. So our answer to our question is this. What's so great about eternal life? We're going to give you four answers to that question today. What is so great about eternal life? Is that really a great gift from God? And I believe absolutely, wholeheartedly, it is. And we're going to look at four different blessings eternal life gives us. Four. So hang with me. We're going to look at these things one right after another. Number one thing that we get from eternal life is this concept right here. Fearlessness. Now, fear is gripping our society unlike any other time in my life. Maybe yours as well. I've never seen so much fear and anxiety and worry in this world than right now. But what's interesting about eternal life is that it gives you fearlessness. And I will explain and we'll prove that to you today. A classic passage from Matthew 10, verses 28 to 31, Jesus speaking to his disciples, he said this. He said to them, do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who could destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. Therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. This passage can be easily summed up by saying one phrase. Do not fear anything earthly. Fear God and don't sin, but fear not. You are greatly loved. Greatly loved. Guys, we live in a scary world, don't we? We live in a scary world. I mean, fearlessness almost seems mythical. Fearlessness, really, honestly, is that even possible to have? Because we live in a scary world. There's so many things in this world that can threaten our very lives. Bad people can hurt us or even kill us. Diseases and accidents can hurt us with no warning whatsoever. Natural disasters and bad weather can strike. Allergic reactions can endanger us. Drownings, fires, viruses, and all sorts of other random events can come at any moment. And one reason I believe many people hate their lives is because of the constant attacks on their life. They just can't take living in fear anymore. And so they consider, maybe it's best to get off this ride. I don't want to live in fear anymore. But again, we're imagining today, and maybe we don't have to imagine, I hope this is a real thing to you already, but we're imagining today that we have eternal life. Eternal life. And if we have eternal life, it means we're immortal. We're immortal. Maybe you guys know what that word means. But it means you cannot die. You live forever. Now, the devil, I believe, has done a masterfully good job at turning a lot of God's real, true blessings into... Fairy tales, by the use of things like comics and superhero movies and science fiction novels. He wants us to see things like immortality, true God's blessings, as things of fairy tales, imaginary things, things that could never be true. But this immortality we speak of today is real. It's real. And it's a blessing to those who belong to Jesus Christ. Everyone who belongs to Jesus Christ has immortality. You will live forever. Sure, we will all die in the physical life. Even Jesus died in the physical life. But he's teaching us something profound here today, that if we have faith in him, we will live with him forever. And we mean that word, forever. It's not like that word we use to throw around a lot today. I love you forever. He literally says, forever. And if we live forever, here's the logical train, we have nothing to fear. Right? I mean, that's an easy train to follow. If, if I live forever, Then there is nothing to fear. If I am immortal, if I'm immortal, then the things that scare everyone else on this earth can do nothing to me whatsoever. When the immortal soul dies in this life, they simply upgrade to a better life. And physical death becomes a passageway to the eternal presence of their creator. Physical death now becomes a passageway. To a much better, greater, lasting life with God. But what does being immortal mean practically? Even if you understand and believe that concept, what does it mean practically on a day to day level? Quite simply, it means we can stop living in fear altogether. When I was little, we lived in Iowa, and uh, my mom has told me the story several times. I don't really remember this, but my mom has told me the story, so it must have happened. Um, I was little, two or three years old. I don't even know. Um, but I was in the backyard, and our, our neighbors had this fence around their yard, and they had a dog. And I would go outside from time to time, you know, and play, and this dog would come up and bark and would scare me as a little boy. And, and I didn't like the dog being around. I didn't like him barking at me, and that, that scared me. But one day, the dog actually, while barking at me, got his head stuck in the fence And uh, he got his head stuck right in the fence. And my mom said that once I realized the dog was stuck in the fence, do you remember this? Um, I wasn't scared of the dog anymore. In fact, I went up to the dog and started to tease the dog and to taunt the dog. Because I realized that the dog couldn't do anything about it. I was like two or three years old or something like that. And I started to taunt and tease the dog because I realized the, the threat was gone. Even though he was barking and making some noise, maybe he wasn't, maybe he wasn't out of breath, but he was... The threat was neutralized. And even as a young child, I realized that the threat was gone, and I go up at the dog and start taunting and teasing him. It's an illustration. I have another illustration that I need a volunteer for. Nobody was warned about this. If nobody comes up, my feelings will be heard, but I'll live. But can I have a volunteer? And I need you to trust me, okay? You need a little bravery, but not much. Really not much bravery. Can I have a volunteer? I have a very simple illustration. Would someone come up and just, just for a moment... I'm not going to... Elijah, yes! I was hoping to be a kid because kids are brave. Now, Elijah, I don't know how you feel about these. Um, Inside here, it's very small, but it's a snake. Are you okay with snakes? Sure. Anyone else? I would never do this. Um, I'm going to ask you, without looking, to reach your hand into this box. Would you be willing to do that for me? Okay. It's very small. If, if you touch the snake, don't freak out. Okay, he's very small. I don't think he can hurt you. Are you willing to reach your hand in? Okay. Wow, look at this kid. A perfect illustration. Okay, reach your hand and don't look. Okay. As far as you can. Touch the snake. Pet him. Bring him out. All right. Oh, there he is. I mean, you guys already got the gag. Look at the snake. Thank you, Elijah. It's a toy snake. It's a fake snake. I knew I wasn't going to hurt you. Thank you. You can hand the snake back to me. Um. In that silly illustration, I got the snake from the children's room. My mom used it for something. But um, I, I thought that was another interesting illustration. Don't you wish the scary things in this life were like the dog stuck in a fence or the fake snake that can't hurt you? They look scary. They can make some noise, but they cannot hurt you. They cannot harm you. Well, that is exactly what eternal life with Jesus grants us. We are Safe. Safe in the arms of Jesus Christ, because your Lord died and rose again from death. And he's proving to us today that if he can, and we follow him and we belong to him, so will we. Remember the passage from John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And that's a promise from our God and our Savior. In fact, this is the very picture of baptism. If any any of you have been baptized before, this is exactly what the picture of baptism is. When someone is lowered into the water, it symbolizes death and burial. And as soon as they're brought out of the water, it symbolizes new eternal life with Jesus. If you've been saved from your sins and baptized into the Spirit of God, then you are one who has eternal life today. You're immortal. And there is therefore nothing, and I repeat, nothing that can harm you that is not part of God's wonderful plan to bless you for all eternity. Nothing can harm you. Nothing. It's like the fake snake or the dog stuck in the fence. You cannot be harmed unless it's part of God's plan to bless you for the rest of eternity. But let's turn this on the end here. What if we didn't have eternal life? What if we didn't have life beyond the grave? What if we didn't have any hope beyond the world and the life that we're living right now? But instead, our fragile life is on the clock. And every single day, and every single moment, we move closer and closer to the end of losing everything we have. Most of the world experiences this. And I can't imagine how they do that. Wouldn't you be scared of everything? Everything is out to get you. You're not immortal. You're quite fragile. You're destined to die and never experience life ever again. And that means that your life that you have right now is gold. And it also means it is absolutely terrifying to live because you might lose it at any moment. What every one of us desperately needs is eternal life guaranteed by the God of all creation. And the one who can grant you eternal life is the very one who defeated death himself. That's the one offering you eternal life today. Death came for him. He died. He was buried in a tomb, and it looked as if death defeated Jesus, like death defeats everybody. Death got another one. Death was undefeated. But three days later, Jesus arose again to eternal life, never to die again. And this Jesus is the one promising you Eternal life, if you will hand your life now over to him. And this is absolutely an amazing gospel truth. He proved that Jesus Christ has the keys to eternal life. Now, if he would have said it, that would have been powerful enough. The Son of God promises you eternal life, but he didn't just say it. He proved it. There were 500 witnesses that would attest to it. I mean, imagine a courtroom setting with 500 people coming in one after another, saying the exact same thing. He died and three days later, I saw him again. He's alive. 500 people in a row. That's a powerful testimony. He proved that he has the keys to eternal life, and that's the first blessing of eternal life, is fearlessness. And I want that. And I want that for you. Let's keep moving. Second thing we are promised if we have eternal life is that we are the richest we could possibly be. If we have eternal life, we are the richest we could possibly be. We don't need anything else. We have no needs. One of my absolute favorite passages in all of Scripture is Matthew 13, verses 44. Jesus speaking, he says in a parable, "...the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field." Which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all he has and buys that field. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man understands that, he goes and sells everything he has and he buys the field. Why would he do such a thing? Because the return value of the treasure in the field is worth so much more than anything he owns. He needs nothing else. If I have the treasure, that's all I need. When you and I receive eternal life with Jesus Christ, we become the envy of the world. The concept of eternal life seems far-fetched to the world. It does. But what if someone actually had it? What if you actually had eternal life and you could prove it? How rich and wealthy would a person be who possessed eternal life Each and every day that passes, that person is not one step closer to the end of their life than they were 40 years ago. And I picked 40 because that's my age. Their life can never end, and they'll always be loved by God. Could you put a price tag on eternal life? Could you put a price tag on eternal life? Would you rather have a mansion, a yacht, a sports car, or eternal life? That's an easy one, right? That's an easy no-brainer quiz. Of course you would rather have eternal life. A person with a mansion is going to die and lose the mansion. A person with a yacht or a sports car will die and will lose their yacht or their sports car. But a person with eternal life can never, ever lose their most valuable treasure. Never. Making eternal life the present of all presents. You do get presents on Easter. And there it is. I think another reason people seek to end their own life and their own existence is because they don't think their life is valuable. But what about a person who is a prince or a princess in the kingdom of God, who is loved and protected by that God? What about that kind of person? That person, their life is so rich, so abundant, and so valuable that anyone who receives that kind of purpose is so blessed, blessed beyond comprehension. Now, I want you to humor me. Make a list, either in your mind or physically on paper, I want you to make a list of the top things that people want out of this life. Okay? Five or ten. And after you make that list, I want you to compare those things to what I have in Jesus Christ, my eternal life. Make a list of the top five or ten great things that people want out of this life and then compare it to my eternal life. Who's richer? Who's richer? The person that has earthly blessings, that will rust, that will fade, that will depreciate one day, or the soul that has eternal life. And again, that's another easy one. By doing this little exercise, this little calculation, you will quickly understand that the value of such a blessing is eternal life. Many people who take their lives consider, well, my life is coming to an end anyways. What's the point of living anymore? But the person with eternal life never thinks that way. They have an eternal purpose. They are servants of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Every single day offers them a chance to do something significant for the glory and the kingdom of God. But on the flip side, let us imagine not having eternal life. Oh, sure, you might have some treasures and pleasures of the world, and one day it's a guarantee you're going to lose every single one of them and be left with nothing. And sadly, many people experience this. And the world knows it's true. They know it's true. Everything they have right now is in their grips, is in their grasp, and one day it will be taken from them. And there's nothing they can do about it. That's a sad reality, guys. Without eternal life, your best days are behind you. They're in the rearview mirror. Everything's in the past. And now you're staring into a black void where your eternal hope should be. You'll try to distract yourself by chasing more and more pleasures and treasures of the world, but you'll never be satisfied and you'll never solve your greatest problem. That your life is quickly coming to an end and your treasures will be taken from you one day. But the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, came to offer every single one of us eternal life in him. Yes, he died. Jesus died. Just like every one of us will die a physical death. But death was not the final chapter of our Lord. And it will not be the final chapter of our lives either. Because Jesus rose again from dead, from death, and he started living a life that he will never, ever lose again. Now, I want you to consider all the great men and women over the years. And there's been many. They lived, they made a legacy upon the earth, And then they died and they lost their lives. That's the story, that's the biography of every single person who lived. They lived, they did something, maybe something great, they died, and eventually were forgotten. Their entire lives amounted to nothing that lasts into eternity. Guys, is that sad? That's a sad reality. That's not purposeful, that's not significant. The Lord wants better for every single one of us. Jesus came to give you, and I emphasize You, eternal life. Put your name there. And if you believe in and follow Jesus Christ, you are now an heir of the kingdom of God. And that means that your best days are ahead of you. Your days will only get better. Your life will only get richer. When Jesus comes back, when you leave this earth, everything will improve, everything will get better. What a blessing from above. Number one, fearlessness. Number two, you are the richest you could possibly be. Number three, you are loved. You are loved. I had to bring the most classic passage of Scripture into this lesson today. John 3.16. Everyone, most of us could say this by heart. But Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, That whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. Why? Because of love. When you and I receive eternal life, something significant has taken place. Someone has died to save you. Somebody died in order to save you. And that means that someone loves you deeper than anyone has ever loved anyone. That's what it means. When people take their lives and they end their existence, many times it's because they don't believe they matter that no one will miss them. You remember the classic movie, It's a Wonderful Life? George Bailey thought that. He believed that his life didn't matter anymore, that maybe he was more valuable dead than alive. And even though that's a fictional movie, it's an all-too-real train of thought. People aren't loved, or they don't believe they're loved, and that thought fills them with utter hopelessness. Nobody cares if I live, so why not just die? But when Jesus offers you eternal life, he shows you the wounds in his hands and his feet where the nails were driven into his flesh to hang him on a cross for your sins. And these wounds means that Jesus loves you. You were worth enough to Jesus that he considered it a no-brainer to die for you. Because he doesn't want to imagine an eternity without you. Seriously, that's what it means. He doesn't want to imagine eternity without one of his creations. And if Jesus went to the lengths of dying on a tree so that he and you might be together forever, very simply, you are loved more than anyone ever could be. You matter to God. To God. Now try to wrap your mind around the fact that you were loved by God. You may not matter to the rich and the famous and the powerful people of the earth. But it doesn't matter if you were loved by God. You were loved so much that the king of kings hung on a tree to keep you and him from being apart for the rest of eternity. He died to bring you home where you belong. And if you are filled with that much love, and you are, by the God of all creation, then you should be filled with joy and with confidence. Because you're loved. You're loved that much by God. And therefore, your life has purpose. Purpose. Jesus sacrificed his life. God gave up his only begotten son. And if he did that, and he did do that, do you think he would withhold anything good from you? Now let us imagine, let's flip it again and let us imagine this, that you were not loved by God. Imagine it. You were not loved by God. God didn't care for you. He didn't care if you lived or died. God didn't care if you were hit by a car or caught some horrible disease or if you drowned in a lake. And he certainly wasn't going to sacrifice his one and only son to save one insignificant human being. I mean, what is one insignificant human being compared with all of God's riches and wealth? If God didn't love us, our life is meaningless. It has no meaning. And therefore, we have no hope whatsoever. But God does love you immensely. And not only did Jesus die for you, but Jesus arose from the dead for you as well. Because he didn't think that sparing you from death was going far enough. He didn't want you to just avoid punishment. That's not good enough. He wanted you to be with him for all eternity. Is that amazing? Why would he care if I was there? Why would he care if you were there? Who were we? But he did. He went to those lengths to save us and to bring us into eternity. So after Jesus died, he rose and defeated death once and for all. So you and he would never have to fear being apart from each other ever again. And since you are loved, you are a treasure to God. A treasure to God. And he will bend over backwards to protect you, to provide for you, and to keep you with him forever. If he went to those lengths and those limits to save you and to love you, he will give you everything you need. He will bless you immensely. And that's number three. You are loved. And we have one more blessing to look at quickly. Number four, if we have eternal life, here's fourth blessing. You can give your earthly life away. You can give it away. Listen to the passage we've been using for the last several weeks. In Matthew 16, Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That doesn't sound fantastic. Whoever will save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Now this one might not sound like a blessing, to give your earthly life away, but I promise you it is. I have given myself to the work of the Lord for that very reason, because it's a blessing. You see, if you are loved, if you have nothing to fear, if you are the richest person in existence, and we we clear those hurdles already, then you are in a very unique position to do things that others cannot do, because you're fearless, and you're rich, and you're loved by God. You are in a very unique position to do things others cannot do. Now the mortal soul, the soul that is mortal, has to look out for himself. Around every corner there might be danger lurking. He's so fragile that anything might be the end of his existence. He cannot spend his life doing anything else except defending his own life and trying to stay out of harm's way. Now perhaps he wishes he could help his neighbor. But he's too preoccupied with staying safe that he believes he has nothing else to give anybody else. He has to look out for his own body, his own soul. That's what the mortal soul does. The poor soul, the soul that is poor, has to try to attain riches because life is measured in riches. If a person remains poor, they also remain insignificant in the eyes of man. So even though the poor soul wishes at times he could help his neighbor... He believes he's too in need to look out for others. He has to try to attain more and more in this life to have riches and wealth and purpose upon the earth. And this makes the poor soul very preoccupied with attaining. So much so that others, his neighbor, appears to be an obstacle to his own happiness. He has to get around them. He has to get above them. He has to get through them instead of people to be loved and blessed. That's the poor soul. The unloved soul, the person who doesn't believe they're loved, isn't trying to do much at all. They simply sulk and mourn their own existence. They believe there couldn't be anyone more pathetic than they are, and therefore they wait all day and all night for people to pity them and their lives in hopes that someone might love them, that they might squeeze out some acceptance from this cruel world. They aren't looking out for the needs of their neighbor because their needs are the center of their universe. This makes the unloved soul pretty useless to the world. But the soul that has immortality, the soul that is the heir of the kingdom of heaven, the soul that is loved by the God of all creation has everything important filled to the max, and I would even say overflowing They can't die, so they can courageously obey the will of God and they can love their neighbor in spite of the cost, in spite of the threats, because they're going to live forever. They can give their life away. They are the richest they could possibly be with riches and wealth laid up for them in heaven, which can never deteriorate, never depreciate, never be stolen from them, so they need nothing from this world. They can simply use all their earthly treasures to love their neighbor with because they are wealthy in Jesus for all eternity. And the soul that is loved by God has love and purpose coming out of their eyeballs. They know they are safe in the arms of God and that he has spent his son in order to keep them forever. They don't need love from anyone else as long as they're secure in the love of God. And this makes the love soul on the offense to love his neighbor. Because they have more love in their life than they know what to do with. They might as well use the excess love. The love that is spilling over. Remember Psalm 23, David said, My cup runneth over. They use that excess love to love their neighbor with because they're loved by God to the max, overflowing, and they can give their life away. The immortal soul, the rich soul, and the loved soul, they're an amazing person. They are courageous when others are timid. They are sacrificing treasures when others are chasing treasures. They are loving others when everyone else is seeking to be loved. Quite simply, they are the perfect God crafted soldier for the kingdom of God. Even the devil has his hands full with that type of soul because they have no weaknesses to exploit. They're loved, they're rich, and they're fearless. That is a mighty, powerful soldier. And to whom does the soul owe his courage, his confidence, and his purpose to? They owe it completely and entirely to the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because without that death, without that resurrection, they have nothing. And with it, they have everything. With the sacrifice of Christ's blood and the new life that Jesus offers them, they are alive forevermore. They're secure in the love and the kingdom Of God. So what's so great about life? Life with God is the single greatest gift there ever could be. And I'm telling you from first-hand experience. Take it from the word of God or take it from someone who has first-hand testimony of eternal life coursing through my veins. Eternal life changes everything. 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 Or as the old hymnist once sang, I once was blind, but now I see. Do you have eternal life with God through Jesus? Do you? Are you fearless because God is your security? God is your security. Are you rich because you're co-heirs with Jesus and the kingdom of God? Are you safe in the love of God forevermore? If not, you don't have life. You are simply waiting for death, eternal death, and separation from all that you were created for. But if you do, or if you will today, then you're a formidable soldier for the kingdom of God. Jesus' death paid our penalty so we don't have to die and be punished for our sins. And Jesus' resurrection means that just like Jesus, one day we will stand up from death and rise to new, eternal life in the presence of our God and our Creator. Listen once again to the passage we started with. Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, Yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And he said to Martha, Do you believe this? And I say to you today, Do you believe this? If you don't know Jesus today, your job is very simple. Believe. Believe. Repent. Turn away from your sins. Turn away from your worldliness and turn to Jesus Christ, your Lord and your Master and your Savior. Do it today. It's very simple. A child can do it. Believe and give your life to Jesus and start that path today with fearlessness, with love, with riches, and giving your life away. And may Easter Day 2021 be the day of your salvation. I remember my day. Or may it be the day you finally learn that you need nothing from the world because you have everything you need and more from your Lord Jesus. Eternal life changes everything. Can we pray? Father, I thank you for the message from your word, and I pray for the souls in this room. I don't know where they are before you, but I'm almost certain that someone in this room needs to turn to Jesus today. I pray for the souls here, Father, that you would penetrate the soul and would teach them what only you can teach them, that you love them greater than anyone could ever love them and that you came to offer them not just avoidance of eternal punishment, but you came to offer them life, abundant, eternal life, if they will hand their life over to you. I pray for every single soul in this room, if there is a step of faith that they need to take, that they would take it today. And if they're confused, that they would seek out those who can help them. Father, may Easter Day 2021 be a powerful day for all of us to remember the day that we finally learn that we are sufficient in the arms of Jesus Christ. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.